If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Woman Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies. Welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm excited to be here with you again today to bring you another great guest. We're going to continue our discussion around women physicians on the front lines. And we're talking about the challenges that we face as women physicians, also about where we are currently during the pandemic, and also some of the things that we would like to share with you regarding how we can come together and improve as a community around um, improving disparities during COVID. So I'm excited today to bring you a new guest. And with me today is Dr. Joelle Simpson. Dr. Joelle is a pediatric ER physician with expertise in disaster medicine and chief of emergency room medicine at Children's National in Washington, D.C., Dr. Joelle Simpson has been in the news media recently. Given the impact that we've had, you know, with children during the pandemic, she's been discussing things like returning to school, vaccine hesitancy, vaccine misinformation, trials that have affected children, and also disparities that have been unveiled in children, very similar to the disparities that we've seen in adults in regards to COVID. So again, I am excited to have with us today, Dr. Joelle Simpson, and welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Thank you so much again for joining us. And I'm really excited to talk with you today about this topic. You know, you have expertise when it comes to dealing with children, obviously, with your background in pediatrics, your background in emergency medicine and disaster medicine, which actually is something that I'm sure you're utilizing a lot during these times that we're in today. So I want to first start off just by getting to know you a little bit better or letting our audience get to know you a little bit better and asking you some questions around your career and sort of how you, you know, ended up where you are today. So thinking about your career and your leadership journey, who or what may have been instrumental in that decision? That's an excellent question because it's so multifactorial in my mind. I've certainly been fortunate in having key mentors in my life along the way from early childhood to now, many of whom emphasized leadership and leadership skills, no matter what field I chose. 
Interestingly, I was once interested in a career in policy and considered being a lawyer and knew that some inherent skills I had sort of developed as a young child in public speaking and debate, which was one of my favorite things to do in high school, the mentors and coaches there allowed me to sort of really thrive with those skill sets and think about ways to apply them in a future career. And when I became passionate about medicine, the mentors in medicine said how, sort of reminded me how unique it was to sort of think about being an advocate. And then I gravitated towards public health. And once again, it was leaders in public health that showed me that having this voice in medicine was unique. And so it's sort of the combination of different skill sets that came together with leaders in those different areas, whether it be public speaking, public health, medicine, that really reminded me that we all have gifts and finding our passion or channeling our passion really helps you feel the most gratified in whatever career you choose, should you be able to, to sort of meet those passions. So so mentors, coaches, sponsors, all of the above that you talk about on your podcasts very often and that we've talked about in the past, that's what really got me to where I am today. Great. That's wonderful. I'm glad that you really talked about, and I think that there's a common theme among a lot of the guests that I interview, and that is that sense of community, the people around you that you are fortunate to be in their presence that really help develop who you are as a person. So yeah, so that's great. And thank you for sharing that. So we want to know a little bit about what your day as a woman physician on the front lines, what does that look like? So who do you serve? What challenges do you face? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Children's National, where I work at the emergency department, is uh, the only children's hospital in Washington, D.C., And so definitely there's an impact from the influence of being in the nation's capital. We feel very obligated to have that voice for children, not just within our local and regional area, but on a national level as well. So being the emergency department, which is often seen as sort of the first receivers of whatever is going on in the community. You know, we have our first responders like EMS that bring our kids into the ER and we receive them and try to keep them safe and respond in whatever ways we can. So my day-to-day job involves making sure we do that in a way that is safe and meets sort of all the metrics of clinical excellence that we talk about in our studies, in our research, but also really in public health, in being sure that we meet our community where they are, we reflect what our community looks like, and we serve them across all aspects of health. So whether it be clinical, whether it be social, economic, et cetera, you know, I think about all the ways that we can provide those resources, not just doing response, and this is the way I think in my disaster mind, but also thinking about prevention and mitigation. So screening the community for what's coming in so that we can better inform our primary care providers and our specialists um, to be able to receive those patients after an ER visit to best care for them. So that's what my day-to-day job is. It sort of incorporates a lot of what I just talked about, a lot of public speaking and advocating for my team or for the community, um, a lot of public health. And then underlying all of that is just being sort of all the lessons I've learned as a physician. That's great. That's 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 great that you um, are able to really impact the community in the way in which it's not really just sort of one thing that you're doing. You know, you're impacting them, like you said, in all those different areas. So what are some of the challenges that you are facing now? And are those challenges different now, seeing that we're in the pandemic versus maybe some of the challenges that you've seen before, or are they just amplified? 
Yeah, I think a lot of challenges are likely amplified. You know, we it's not new to us that disparities have existed in health for our children along lines of race and socioeconomics, especially. And, and that speaks to me, given my own personal background. And so I think that the messages that we've been able to amplify when we study COVID and we unify everyone, everyone around one disease process, it really helps us um, have a microphone on these topics that we knew existed before. But then because of the constraints, whether it be budgetary or just personnel wise, you know, across healthcare, we know there's been this sort of theme of the great resignation or there's sort of the impact of the healthcare workforce being changed dramatically meeting the needs of uh, how we solve those problems around disparities, it has been a, a much greater challenge. We have a lot of priorities to talk about things. Right now, I spend a lot of time working with school systems to help partner with them in terms of understanding the rollout of vaccines and public health education to kids and families. But at the same time, I need our teams to be focused on research and implementation of solutions to some of the sort of key issues we've identified for our population. And so it just feels like everybody's sort of all trying to do a lot in a a short amount of time, because I think the urgency is certainly there and we're trying to solve it. But, you know, then there's the themes, as you've discussed in the past, of workforce burnout. Certainly, we're all stressed from the pandemic and fatigue. Trying to keep that energy up, I think, as a leader for my division and for my community, that balance between finding just the right balance, so to say, between um, giving it our all and working to find solutions versus realizing the reality of our workforce, being able to balance that has been one of my biggest challenges. Yeah, definitely. And I think you, you said something that was really important is it's almost like we are having to operate within a new reality now, right? Yes. Yeah. So, very much so every, yeah, everything is just, you know, done a lot differently. People, like you said, are being stretched, pulled in different directions. And unfortunately, this has become a new reality for, for us, especially in, in healthcare. So Agreed. seeing that, you know, one of your challenges really is helping your team to be able to kind of rise in this new paradigm, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So how, how do you take care of yourself during this time? So what does like self-care mean to you, especially during these challenging times? And what do you do to sort of make sure that, you know, you're not trying to give from an empty cup, right? As we always say. Mm -hmm. Um, So so in this, you know, current role that you have, where you have this team that you really have to try to support and uplift, what do you do? How do you, what does self-care look like for you? Well, so I think the practice of self-care is an ever-evolving thing for me. And I love this topic because it's important in so many different ways. And I'm fortunate to have what I call my board of advisors to keep me in check so that I remain true to myself in self-care. So I say that all to say that one of the transitions I made when I moved to this leadership role was to schedule my calendar around my self-care and my wellness. So the first thing that goes into my calendar now are not my shifts. It's not my meetings. 
It is my monthly massage appointment because that is important to me. It is the dinners I've planned with family or friends. It is the half day off that I want to use to reflect, to write, to journal. And that has changed the paradigm. Even just the physical act of doing that first helps me feel like that is most important rather than plugging up the schedule and then seeing when I would have time to make that massage appointment or that dinner with my parents or loved ones. Also, what I've learned as a leader is me talking about the times that I take out for myself has actually been, I had not realized how much role modeling that plays for my team. I've had many team members come back to me and say it made a huge deal to them when I expressed that, you know, today enough is enough. I'm going home. I'm going to make a nice dinner. And I talked more and more about when it's time to pull away. And I've coined a phrase often at work that says, you know, I got your back. None of us are expected to work 24 seven. And that feeling that someone else will take on that burden, because the ER is 24 seven. So there's always work to be done. But I've actually found colleagues who actually feel a sense of relief and fulfillment when they're able to take the baton while I go home and sleep and rest and rejuvenate. Because in the morning, I'm going to come back even that much more refreshed to be able to take the baton back from them. And, you know, I guess I'll end this answer with a quote that one of my mentors stated, which says that the most productive thing you can do for yourself at times is take a break. I love that quote, actually. Yeah, (laughs) I've heard that somewhere as well. Yeah. And it is it is so much the truth of, of what it means to really prioritize and take care of yourself. And I love this, you know, this whole concept of I got your back, because I think that's so important for people to feel like they're supported. And when they feel supported, it almost gives you that extra wind, right? To just continue to keep going and to keep pushing forward, because you know, you're always going to have somebody there that you can pass the baton to. Yeah. I mean, and that's actually one of the challenges of the pandemic. I think a lot of us have had guilt in handing off our workload and feeling that the person that we hope can take it over is already overwhelmed. I've actually seen fairly often the opposite where someone where we all want this feeling like we're making a difference for someone else. And who better than your colleagues to really feel like you're supporting every day when you're able to sort of offer even, even if it's just a lunch break, or even if it's to be able to go, uh, you know, on our crazy ER shifts to go use the bathroom. Oh yeah, I got this patient. I'll go talk to that mom or I'll go talk to that dad. You've been running around in circles. I got this. I mean, that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if more of us could sort of adopt that concept, you know, it would definitely help us, especially during these challenging times. And even, you know, down the line, because healthcare is always going to be challenging, right? This is a little unusual, but I mean, healthcare is always going to be challenging. So to adopt that sort of mindset would be, would be great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think about the pandemic, I've been saying lately, the pandemic is going to be such a tipping point for me. When I started medical school, it was 2001. And as a first year medical student, that was 9-11. And There's the physicians who knew what medicine was like before 9-11 and the physicians that knew what it was like after. And I think there'll be a generation of physicians that speak about the before pandemic and the after pandemic life. And I'm hoping that, you know, with mentors, with support, with a lot of things we reinforce right now during the pandemic, it will it will help us thrive on the other side of this. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to shift and talk a little bit about diversity and leadership. You know, yeah. obviously, I mean, you're in a position of leadership. You're your chief of your you know, department. There are obviously not many chiefs who are women or who are, you know, African-American physicians. So, so that's something that we, you know, obviously continue to, to work towards. But why is it important to have diversity in leadership, especially as it pertains to women and women of color? And why, why do you feel that that's vital to healthcare? Oh, so, I mean, for so many reasons. One of, one of the reasons I stepped into this job and, and this career field was to be able to share the perspectives of my own life's journey, which I see sort of repeated in the lives of my patients. I am an immigrant to this country. We were not of significant financial means. I understand what it feels like to be from a culture that just, this is different. Everything is is not how I am used to doing things, um, what it's like to strive to afford school loans and so forth. So I think that's an element alone. And even just the experience of being a Black woman in medicine, all of those elements are needed around the boardroom where I'm fortunate to now have a seat. And so I think it changes the narrative in leadership in terms of how priorities are laid or how voices are heard at the board level, which I've come to learn more and more every day is important for how the dollars stream down, how priorities are set for research, how priorities are set for uh, bills and, and federal funding and laws. And, you know, when I stepped into this, I just thought, well, this is awesome that I get to reflect a large part of what our community, we we predominantly serve a Black population in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of other elements of diversity that I share with not just the Black population, like I mentioned, being an immigrant, being a woman, being not of means. But as I've continued to progress in this role, I've seen where that sphere of influence is not just so that little girl that looks like me can actually envision what it's like to have this career, but also how important it is in the boardroom to influence my colleagues that don't have my life experience to understand the importance of the decisions we're making and how it affects those children that have a similar background to mine. So more and more I've seen even decisions sway depending on who's in the room. And that's really important to have more of us at the table to be able to have that influence. Yes, that is, wow. That is definitely a great response. And I think the word that I really took from everything that you said was the word influence. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's one of the skills that any great leader should have, right? To be able to influence, but then to have diversity at the table elevates that influence like tenfold, right? Because now you're expanding to obviously, hopefully really being able to support different types of people, right? Different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, you know, based on the fact that you can bring that level of influence to people, like you said, who may not otherwise understand what it means to impact those communities. Yeah. And, you know, as you say this, there's a perfect example of a conversation I had with a mom that I was asked to talk to because she was concerned about the vaccine for her children. And I was asked to talk to her because of my role in emergency medicine and experience with COVID-19. And so I introduced the conversation by saying, ma'am, yes, I have uh, worked with a lot of kids with COVID-19 and, and was reassuring her in terms of the data and the stats and the numbers. And she still 
was like, well, I don't really trust the information, don't trust the data. So then I, I pivoted a little bit and I said, ma'am, she lived in Baltimore. I've lived in Baltimore. I understand the dynamics of that community. Trust me, this is a decision you really need to think about as it relates to your community. And this is what I'm seeing from the community that I used to live in, in that the numbers are higher there than they are in other communities. And that's why this is important. And she still was like, eh, okay. Then I said, ma'am, I'm a black Christian woman. She happened to be one as well. Mm. Above and beyond being a physician, being an expert in COVID, being an expert in disaster medicine, or being from Baltimore, this is what we share. We need to do better for our kids. And being able to have those different layers of conversations with her, I think certainly has some impact. I've said in disaster, in my disaster training and, and the courses that I teach, you know, on you know, in many ways the messenger matters. And being able to have that microphone for our communities, I, I'm not I'm not denying that all the other voices aren't important, but I love that I'm able to bring that unique angle and that unique voice to the table to influence others. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we have to find other ways, like you just mentioned in your conversation, to connect with people outside of, you know, all of the, you know. All the titles and the that we have, right? Because <laughs> we bring so much else to the table that is um, yeah. that has traditionally not been in the headlines. And I think this year, many, there's many models of Black female leaders that have sort of start to make those conversations a lot more expected, comfortable. I'm more open to bringing that part of myself to the table. Absolutely. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, obviously my hope is that we see more women physicians, more women of color, you know, in positions like yours so that we can continue to influence and have a great impact. So with that being said, what would it take for organizations? What do you feel it would take for organizations to support women in healthcare who, one, want to be able to have a seat at the table, want to be who want to be in that position? And then also just to be able to retain women in healthcare, because obviously, Mm. you know, we're seeing, like you said, with the great resignation, unfortunately, a lot of the colleagues that we see leaving are women. Yeah, agree. Well, I love sayings. And another saying that one of my mentors gave me is that opportunity favors the prepared mind. And I think we need to be able to create those opportunities and they need to be defined and 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 um, focused on the popul- on this particular population. So whether it is, you know, I've been in many leadership sessions for Black women physicians. And I think those are very important to continue and to support for our colleagues. I also think that it's impossible to get the job done without the toolbox. So there's very specific skills that need to be shared in order to grow as a leader, whether that be in financial management, public speaking, being an influencer, building relationships, executive presence. I've been fortunate to have mentors that have urged me towards courses and trainings to be able to collect those tools in my toolbox. So when the opportunity was there to step into a role of leadership, it wasn't just because I was a Black woman and it was fitting that category, but I was also on par with everybody else that had all those tools to be at the table and to be qualified. And if we don't provide the tools from early on, it's really unfair to say that, you know, that individual that's 10 years out in their career and looking for that leadership opportunity isn't just sort of being earmarked because of the diversity they bring or the years that they bring as a clinician, but also all those tools for leadership, which is very unique and is as much a science as there is to the science of being a physician. I think I think that in my training, I feel like that 
those leadership skills have been somewhat underappreciated. And I rely on those so much now to thrive in this environment, to feel like even if the seat is not at the table, I'm comfortable pulling the chair up and making a seat at the table. And I feel just as qualified as all of my colleagues that may not look like me, but have that pedigree. I arguably have the same pedigree or or even more notches on my belt that I've been able to collect through the help of mentors and sponsors. And I think we need to do a more intentional job of sharing that with others in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So definitely, you know, support around giving women the correct are the right tools and resources, right, Mm -hmm. that they need to be able to succeed is really, really important. So that would mean that organizations would have to really intentionally want to do that, (laughs) right? Intentionally want to invest the time, the money, you know, and the resources to be able to provide that level of support that's really needed. Yeah. I mean, and as you know, I mean, the the catchphrase in leadership is the return on the investment. And so in some ways, I feel like there's an obligation on me to show the um, institution what the return on that investment is. It's tremendous. Mm -hmm. If you amplify that conversation I had with that one mother to a community, that potentially has the impact to help with this issue with healthcare disparities, right? When you sort of can correct the narrative that's been going out to different communities, um, coming from a voice that looks like those communities, I think that institutions are starting to realize how critical that is. And so those of us already in leadership positions also have an obligation to continue to remind them and urge them to remember the return on that investment when they create it for others. Mm. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So thinking back to, you know, you shared this wonderful story of the conversation you had with the mom in regards to the vaccine. So what would you say to someone who you know, maybe like this mom who's hesitant about getting vaccinated. What is your approach to that? You know, and then what are some of the things that you feel that you have to debunk about, you know, myths about the vaccine? Well, it's interesting. In the past year and a half or so, I realized that everybody is coming at this experience from varied lenses. Some people have very personal experience with death in their family or narratives from the news that resonated with them. And so the question about hesitancy is so complex. Um, And I often approach families trying to understand where is that hurdle? Is it, I'm afraid uh, because of my job security or insecurity for that matter? I am afraid because I have been let down by science or by healthcare in the past. Or I am afraid because it is such a foreign land to talk about science, either because of my own lack of education and so forth. You know, really trying to understand where that hesitancy is coming from, I think, is really important. And then helping people navigate through that understanding without feeling belittled or without feeling like they are, uh, you know, this is such a personal experience to grapple with this pandemic and all of the rapid changes that have been happening. So I do strongly believe that it's hard to come up with a sort of a blanket solution to the vaccine hesitation story. I do see a current theme, though, of, as we already know from the Tuskegee trials and from Henrietta Lacks and so forth, that and another reason why it's important to have diversity in healthcare and science and medicine is that there has been these examples of mistrust in specific communities. And that 
is playing out a lot here. And I think pandemic aside, one day when we're saying the pandemic is behind us, and even right now, the efforts to build those trusting relationships with our communities is going to be very important. And I think about that as I support my team members that are interested in doing research in communities, and we talk more about community-based participatory research involving our communities in research as opposed to just going out and doing experiments. And all of that narrative speaks to me personally as being a member of those communities in the past that was being asked to fill out surveys that my family did not understand and did not necessarily get to have an informed choice to be a part of. So complex answer to your question, but I think what it means is that we have to be, we have to build in healthcare relationship where we're engaged with our communities in a much deeper way than just this doctor-patient experience. There needs to be ongoing community support. I think the social determinants of health science that's going on and being able to identify those and support those, not just in times of crisis, but on a day-to-day basis is very important. So we build trust for our communities so that they understand that we're there for their best interests. That's great. And I think that leads me right into my next question, which is how can we move forward to a safer and healthier environment? And one of the things that you mentioned is trust, which I think is huge, right? We're going to definitely have to work on, you know, the building this trust factor with the community so that when we do suggest, you know, certain treatments, recommendations, or things along that line, that they're more open to listen and and possibly be able to say yes, maybe to some of those recommendations, but there first has to be that trust factor. Is there anything else that you want to add to that in terms of ways which we can move to, you know, a healthier and safer environment? Yeah, I mean, while there's trust, I think there's also we've learned an obligation for us to raise the bar on personal health education. I think that we've always had the buzzwords of knowing that we need to manage our sugar or we need to manage our blood pressure or cancer is bad. But I think that the common language of what health means and what it takes to be healthy needs to permeate not just the school systems, but I think it needs to be reinforced in various ways beyond school. And that's going to be critically important so that when we say we meet our communities where they are, we're also encouraging communities to grow closer to science. And hopefully one day we'll have a situation where science is viral versus misinformation. (laughs) I mean, we know that absorption of information is is out there and and communities can run with it. But how do we switch the narrative so that there's more there's more trust or maybe not even just trust, but critique of science from an educated position versus the willingness to sort of uh, sway towards the misinformation and the malinformation that's been out there? We have a tough uphill battle. None of this is easy, but I do think we need to band together in healthcare and create those partnerships and communities to fix that problem. Absolutely. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview, Dr. Joelle. So I want to just thank you again for taking the time to, you know, give us a lot of sort of the day-to-day of what you're going through, educate us about what's going on in the communities and let us in into a little bit of your world in terms of, you know, what you do. And a couple of things that I took away, I took a lot away from this interview, but I wanted to just sort of 
leave a couple of tidbits. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned that I absolutely love was, you know, the whole concept of I got your back. So I really want to stress that. And I wanted to just put that out there again so that any colleagues who are listening, physicians, non-physicians even who are listening, really think about that. You know, do you have your colleagues back? Are you really there, you know, to help out so that when they want to pass the baton that, you know, that you'll be there to, to sort of help them. The other thing you mentioned was influence, which is, I mean, I'm a big advocate of helping physicians to be able to develop that skill of influence, right? How do you go in and really talk the talk, walk the walk, and, and make those people around you understand, you know, how we need to impact communities. And then the last is the trust factor, which is huge, because I think that there is so much mistrust, you know, in, in communities, unfortunately. And we've seen that escalated because of the pandemic, right? We've always known there have been some, but it's really hit us in the face. And right. it's unfortunate that the mistrust in, in many cases, you know, led to um, probably more deaths than we probably, you know, would have had had there not been that mistrust. Agree. Yeah. yeah. So, in our communities. In our communities, definitely. Yeah. So thank you again for coming on and just sharing your information and just giving us so much to think about. And yeah. um, we want to wish you the best of luck in your position as well. You're doing a wonderful job. And um, yeah, so so definitely continue to advocate for those, you know, people who you serve. Well, Dr. Lisa, I want to thank you as well. As you know, early on in this journey, we were actually connected, I think, through LinkedIn. And I reached out and asked for your help in making this decision to become chief of emergency medicine. And uh, you were critical to me making the decision to step into this role. I think nervousness is expected in any big decision like this, but you certainly held my hand and helped me get through it. So thank you so much. Come a long way in a year because it was about a little less than a year ago that, or maybe a little bit more than a year ago that we were talking about this. Yes. And, uh, and now here I am. So thank yes. you. Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. I, you know, I feel like a, I don't know, a, a proud teacher <laughs> mentor. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Proud yes. coach, yes. you know, yes. watching you just flourish. So, so I'm really thank excited. You. I'm really excited. Yeah. So for anyone who would like to um, connect with uh, Dr. Joelle Simpson, you know, she's definitely an advocate, uh, a person that you want to just follow. Follow her on LinkedIn and her LinkedIn is Joelle Simpson, MD, MPH. You can follow her there and see all of what she has going on. Keep up to date about what's going on with the pandemic, especially as as it affects our children as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again. I, I welcome the reach out. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. If you are ready to claim your seat at the leadership table and be the respected voice in healthcare, then join my community, Physicians Rising Up Leadership Circle, where physicians can learn the crucial skills they need to step up and lead and make positive changes in their own life and community. In the Leadership Circle, you will have access to monthly roundtable masterclass-level discussions that support you as a woman physician leader. You will have the opportunity to receive individual laser coaching during the roundtable sessions, You will have access to articles and videos to help with your personal and professional growth. You will receive a copy of my best-selling book, Physicians Rise Up, 
you will also be able to take the Leadership EQI 2.0 assessment followed by a one-hour coaching debrief, as well as have priority access to upcoming events and also to the Leadership Academy. So if you are interested in learning more about The Circle and joining a group of like-minded women physician leaders, then go to www.physiciansrisingup.com. That is www.physiciansrisingup.com. Take care. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.